So a few weeks ago, we were in Mississippi visiting my family, and one Sunday evening we all got together, my brothers and their kids, um, my mom, my sister, my niece, and her family, and all told there were about nine, nine kids under the age of 13 all there. So it was fun, and it was loud. So it was loud, laughing fun. And so we were outside uh, playing with a new slingshot game. And I went back in to mom's house to get a Frisbee, my favorite game. And when I came out, uh, the neighbor's kids, Taylor and Sam, were sitting on the hill uh, next to the house. They had been told by their father, you can only go to Miss Linda's yard if you're invited. So picture Taylor, she's 10, blonde hair. Picture her brother Sam, he's 8, brown hair. They're sitting there in the grass, their feet dangling over the property line. Seeing nine kids, all within their age group, having a great time. And there they are, just waiting, just sitting and waiting, wondering, can we be included in the family fun, even if it's really not our family? Only if you're asked. So my mom went over and said, would y'all like to come over and play? And as quick as that first word left her mouth, Taylor and Sam leave the hillside, and they're right in the middle of it. What kid would turn down an offer like that? And it seems that wherever the church crops up, a question arises with it. Who can be included in the family fun? Who can't? And why not? What about a small people group who are really nomads, who really didn't have a government, and they didn't really have a claim to fame? Could they be included? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God says, When I chose you, I didn't choose you because you were the strongest, the largest, or most capable. I chose you simply because I love you. So that people group that we know as the people of Abraham, the Jews, are included. But what about non-Jews? In Hosea, an Old Testament prophet, he writes these words. Those who are not my people, I will make my people. Paul says in Ephesians, you can see the mystery of Christ, that the Gentiles too are included. The mystery of Christ, and that, that Greek word that Paul uses, is not a mystery like Perry Mason or something, Agatha, Agatha Christie. It's an open secret that if you look, it'll become revealed to you. That you can see by the open secret of Jesus Christ that not just Jews are included, but Gentiles. Everybody. That's everybody. Further, the prophet Isaiah, the word of God comes to him. And in this dialogue, it is God speaking about the Messiah who we name as Jesus. And he says, I can make you Messiah to my people Israel, but it is too small of a thing for you to be my servant to restore only Jacob. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. So, Father says to Son Jesus, 
I could restore Israel through you, but you were so good, Jesus, and you're so glorious that it would actually be a demotion for you. It is too small of a thing for you to be the Savior of Israel. You will be Savior of every nation. So God includes. So do Christians. And closer to us, and part of our own church history, and other sister churches in this area, could those who were immorally enslaved through chattel slavery be welcomed as equal brothers and sisters into the life of the American church? Not to just have a separate church or a separate worship service, but did full inclusion mean that they were also members, taking full communion, participating in committees, being ordained as an officer, an elder, a deacon, a minister of word and sacrament? Would the American church allow itself to look and feel and sound different in order to include? And full inclusion is never a three-fifths compromise. It's a full embrace. It's a full embrace while letting go of one's power over another group. What about women? There are examples of women leading in Scripture. And they led well. Rarely in Scripture does it seem to me that women are the problem. Just saying. So they led well, not because there wasn't a man around to do it, but because they were called by God, equipped by the Spirit, and obedient to that prompting. There's Deborah. She was a judge. So that puts her equal with Gideon and Samson. There was Priscilla, who taught another pastor and apostle in the book of Acts. There's Junius and Lydia, leaders of the young Christian movement. You can read about them in Acts also. And although there are examples of women leading, and leading well, they've often been barred from service and ordination in the American church, in Christ's church. And I'm proud to be a part of a church and I'm very proud to be a part of a denomination that says that it's about calling and gifting and not about personal plumbing. In 1969, our denomination, the Reformed Church in America, sent our first solo female missionary to Japan, where she not only did well, she started a seminary. This is not to mention the many wives who accompanied their husband to the mission fields, often sacrificing as much, if not more, than their husbands, leaving behind family in the States and oftentimes leaving behind their children in cemeteries and foreign fields. In 1918, two years before the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote, a series of overtures came to our General Assembly asking the Reformed Church that resides in America to hear the Spirit's leading to welcome into full inclusion females in all areas of ministry of the church. After all, if women were going to Japan to start seminaries and being pastors and showed obvious giftings in Asia, then why not America? And now our denomination, and therefore we, are having a discussion about what it means to include brothers and sisters who would locate themselves within the LGBTQ community. 
And in my point of view, it can't be a three-fifths compromise. If God includes, so do Christians. We need God's help to move forward. That table, table of the Lord, includes everyone. In our house, we have an expandable table so that when more people come over, we expand it. We pull it apart. We put a leaf in more people. Imagine the Lord's table as an ever-expanding table where all are welcome. This stole, a symbol of standing up and taking on the yoke of Christ and being a voice of Christ to the church is a privilege and it should be worn by anyone so gifted and so called by the Spirit and confirmed by the church. It seems to me we just need bigger thoughts about God. It's too small of a thing to quote God. In all debates, in all theological discussions, it seems that our thoughts about God are just too small. Seems to be a desire to protect God as if God needs protecting or to protect Scripture. But often we say, you can go this far, God, but no further. And we say to others, this is the property line. Thou shalt not be included even if you're invited. In every century, in every setting, there are always groups of people on the edge of the property line within plain sight of the church just waiting to be included. Just waiting to join the family fun. But here's the difference. Many of us were born into the family. So we never had to wait to be invited. We don't know what that feels like. To have our status in the family rely on an invitation or some kind of validation. We were born. We just kind of showed up and it was okay. But that's not the case for many people in our neighborhood. Now, all of that as a way of introduction. In our passage, in Paul's time, 99% of the church is Jewish. And they got along just fine without us rowdy Gentiles coming along. And every now and again, it seems in the Bible, a pagan, a Gentile would be included just to spice things up and to move the story along. But then Jesus Christ changes everything radically. And the church begins to extend because the church believed Jesus. Go to Jerusalem, then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth and include everyone. Start where you are and move out from there. Find every non-Jew and welcome them into the kingdom of God. Invite them into the family. It's too small of a thing to say, Jesus, you can love this much, but not anymore. So Paul is writing to a church that has gone through a radical change in terms of skin color, in terms of language, in terms of culture. But they've also gone through an interior change where their hearts have been changed by the gospel of grace. Who's in? Who's out? It seems that the Christians in Rome have this thought. In Jesus, I see perfection and truth and virtue. And I see mercy and compassion. And I see someone with a straight backbone. But when I look at myself, I don't see much of that at all. And yet he gives me mercy. Yet that man includes me. Well, I'm no better than anyone else. So that must mean that God includes others. Paul simply says in our passage, despite your differences of being Jew and Gentile, 
between being church and growing up in church, that would be the Jew, and being a newcomer, a rookie to religion. Despite all your differences, Jesus is how you have salvation. It's through his righteousness you're redeemed. That it is through Jesus doing what you could not do for yourself, that Jesus stepped over the property line, divinity taking on flesh, and he eradicated every fence line between us and God. He picked us up and he brought us to the family. And now, as his presence and his love lives in us, you and I are to be little Jesuses running around the neighborhood saying, do you want to be a part of the fun? Do you want to be a part of the family? He eradicated every barrier between us and God, our sins, all the barriers that keep us from thinking much more highly of God when we lie, when we exclude, when we gossip, when we hoard, when we fail to trust, when we explode in anger or smolder in resentment. Jesus takes it all. Friends, through Jesus Christ, you are included. And you need to confess that reality. You need to name it as being true. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do that right now. We're simply going to say together in one voice, Jesus came for me. Okay? I feel like I should do a countdown or a count up. Okay? So we're going to do one, we're going to do the count up. Okay? One, two, three. And you're just going to say, Jesus came for me. Okay? One, two, three. Jesus came for me. So if you're ever in a protest or counter-protest, you can say, one, two, three, Jesus came for me. Okay, that just has a really good ring to it. Jesus came for you, but he didn't come just for you. Because one day your life will end. And so you should make sure that you pass it on to someone else. Paul says, Christ is not far away. You don't have to go up to heaven because Christ came down. He moved into the neighborhood. The word is near, Paul says. It's close to you. It's close. It's in your mouth. You just need to talk it. It's in your heart. You just need to believe it. And then, Jesus Christ includes you and then sends you out. This is another open secret, another mystery. The church exists for those who aren't here yet. It involves you and I, but it isn't about you and I. It is about God and all the people who have yet to be gathered here. We are to be a welcome center for the kingdom of God. We see good news in Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came, he included. An intelligent and curious man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and says, I've been staying up all night. I've read the scripture. I don't know what to think anymore. And Jesus says, let's talk. A Samaritan woman a non-Jew, a cultural enemy is included. A Roman soldier's family. Romans were oppressors. They were included. The lame, the sick, all who would be great clients for our medical loan closet ministry are included. They were on the edge of society. Christ pulled them in. And then think of this. The thief on the cross who was found, un, who was found guilty by an unforgiving judicial system even Jesus includes him because he looks over to the man and says, today you will be with me in paradise. That on the very last day of his life, Jesus is holding open the door to the kingdom of God. Jesus includes, so do Christians. Let's pray. God, we have no claim on your kingdom 
It is all of grace. And for that, we give you thanks. Amen.